Hey, are you trying to relate to the Lord in a way that's become obsolete? Find out next on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your God made a new covenant because God's people couldn't keep the old. Yet many in the New Testament church have an Old Testament relationship with the Lord. But the old has become obsolete as we'll learn today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We continue today in the New Testament book of Hebrews where we're learning about the new covenant, a better covenant. It's better because it liberates us from a works-based relationship to a faith-based relationship, setting us free from endlessly trying to do in order to please God, but to simply by faith receive what has been done. And so from Hebrews chapter 8, here's Pastor Ed. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated in the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not men. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain, Mount Sinai. But now he has established a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also is mediator of a better covenant which was established on better priorities or promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, a second covenant. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of his brothers say, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. God's promise. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we need for you to teach us now from this passage that we might understand this new covenant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this chapter begs the question, what's new? What's new and what's old? 
We live in a world of change, and some things that seem so cutting edge are suddenly obsolete. We don't seem to like change just as people. Someone said the only people that like change are babies, and uh, some of them aren't even sure about that. Someone said the definition of obsolete is the new phone you just bought or the new computer you just bought before you get from the store to your car, where the computer is suddenly understood, you finally get it, and then you learn that operating system is no longer available and it's obsolete. It's something that Scripture said would happen in Daniel, said that in the last days, men and women would run to and fro across the whole earth, and knowledge would increase. And certainly we're living in that era where the information age, as it's called, is increasing. But it wasn't that long ago. It's easy to look back and see how much things are changing, how quickly things are changing. It was in the 1870s that a young inventor by the name of Alexander Graham Bell was first able to patent a device to send a voice across a wire. He later wrote that he had a great deal of trouble finding any financing for it because everyone thought it was just a gimmick. It'd never catch on. Well, I won't ask for a show of hands how many have their phone in their pocket right now, but we certainly see an explosion of cell phone, the whole cell phone industry. Relatively recently, in the last 10 years, it's exploded beyond America and It's really uh, interesting to go to a place like Nepal and see some old farmer riding on a mule and then take a call on his cell phone. And you go, there's (laughs) kind of a clash of technologies here, aren't there? But that was a great change. Back in the early 1800s, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you sent them a letter, right? And then the breakthrough when the Pony Express was able to deliver a letter from... St. Louis to San Francisco in only 10 days. You get an answer back in another 10 days. Well, it only lasted 18 months because the telegraph was finished. And pretty soon, if you really needed to talk to somebody quick, you'd use the telegraph. The way that Bell was able to get his financing, he said he lied and told the men with the money that he was going to make a two-way telegraph. (laughs) And that was the only way he could explain it and that they would back him. Well, in a way, that's true. Instead of dots and dashes, Morse code, of course, it was the spoken word. Well, obsolescence is chasing all of us. We are all living in a world where obsolescence takes place very quickly. This letter is written during a time of change, radical change. God initiated the change. He had spoken about it centuries earlier. He had spoken about it through two prophets very clearly, a prophet by the name of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, and then another prophet that's quoted here in the verses we're looking at, Jeremiah 31. They both predicted that a system was going to be completely phased out, a covenant, a agreement between God and people. Now, he's writing, the author of this letter, Hebrews, is writing to a group of people living in a suburb of Rome who all have Jewish background. They're 
genetically Jewish, or at least the vast majority of them were. And they had grown up living under a system that really became the national identity of Israel. That there were 613 rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, that really guided their entire life, how they would celebrate certain feast days, what they would eat, how they would dress, how they would worship. All of it was written down in a code, in a contract that God had made with them. And then suddenly when the Messiah came, predicted, but came, everything changed, literally overnight. When he died on a cross, buried, and then three days later rose again from the dead, then God said the new covenant has started. You'll remember Jesus, when he was at the Last Supper, he took a cup and he said, and this is my blood of a new covenant. And it was instituted within a matter of hours. Well, these Jews, who are now Messianic Jews, you might call them, or Jews who have received Jesus as the Messiah, are living in 67 AD, we believe. That's an important date because in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. So this letter was received three years before Judaism was radically changed forever. And at the moment they received it, there were still sacrifices going on on the Temple Mount in the temple that Jesus had walked in. And there was a nine o'clock in the morning morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice at three in the afternoon. So these Jews were kind of caught in between these who had received Jesus as the Messiah because now Nero was the emperor of Rome. And he was persecuting Christians, but he was not persecuting Jews. And so they had pressure on them, political pressure, and they're struggling with the desire to protect their family and themselves and just go back to Judaism and just keep the old covenant. So this letter comes encouraging them to not do that, that the old covenant is obsolete. It's gone. It's passing away, meaning within three years it would be completely gone, and to hang in there in the storms of life. Some might say that part's still very much true today. You're listening to Grow in Grace. You're now with part two of today's lesson and more on the new covenant from Hebrews 8, Pastor Ed Ray. Here we have a section that introduces this new covenant. Three parts, first two verses that it is ministered by Jesus, of course, the superior high priest and the old covenant's high priest. It's ministered in a better place. As it turns out, he's talking about heaven, verse 3 through 7. And then 8 through 13, these promises that are embedded, that are built into this covenant are so much better than the old covenant anyone would be foolish to try and live by the old covenant. So that's where we're going. The first seven verses are actually a summary of the first seven chapters. So we won't spend a lot of time with them. If you're just joining us this morning, it's a good time to join because it kind of sums it all up. In fact, that's the word to choose. There's a summary here starting in verse 1 through 7. Let's jump in and see what God would say. Now, this is the main point, the summary of the things we are saying 
in the seven first chapters. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now, I'll assume that um, most of us, if not all of us, are Gentiles. We did not grow up under the Old Testament law. We did, nobody alive today grew up under the temple sacrifices. But the people that received this letter were shocked, seated at the right hand, because the priests of Aaron, those from the tribe of Levi, who were the priests during that day, they always stood. There were no seats in the temple because it was a constant sacrificing work. It was hard work to sacrifice animals. And there were so many that, uh, particularly at times like Passover, that it was really just hard, sweaty work. But this high priest, Jesus, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And God predicted that would happen through a king a thousand years earlier. What? King David wrote Psalm 110, and he writes in verse 1, the Lord has said to my Lord, seat at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That was a prediction by King David about Jesus rising up to heaven and then sitting down at the right hand, the position of power of Father God, God the Son sitting next to Father God, and him saying, stay here until I put your enemies under your feet, literally. And that was a reference to, in that day, that when kings were vanquished in battle, when they lost a battle, they'd come to the king that had beat their army, and they would put their sword down in front of him on the ground, and then they would get down on their hands and knees and put their head on the ground, and he would get up from his throne with his sword in hand and put his foot on their head. And vulnerable or what? That was when you got real polite, very submissive. Yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, because you could get up a lot shorter than you were when you laid down there. So the picture is that Father God is going to vanquish Jesus' enemy, Satan, someday. Someday soon, we're all praying for. And he's sitting because he's done everything that needed to be done. And that's kind of a key. We'll see it come up again. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Okay, so you got to go back. If you've seen, I, I'm thankful to Hollywood for one thing. They've made pictures like the Ten Commandments. So you remember Charlton Heston, he's up on the mountain, the mountain's shaking, and he comes down with two tablets under his arms, the Ten Commandments. But what they, Cecil B. DeMille didn't show was that he also had a set of architectural plans under his other arm. And they were plans for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, it's also called, that he was supposed to build with exact dimensions. Now, that's what is being referred to here. Jesus is in heaven where the real tabernacle is. What? Yeah, the one on earth was just a model of the real one. Now, you can go and read Exodus 25 through 27. In fact, I recommend that you do it. It will be important to you in eternity. What do you mean? Well, when you get to heaven, 
That's the description of the tabernacle. And when you get to heaven, you're going to see the real one, and you don't want to look like a country bumpkin that just fell off the turnip truck, and you'll know what it is. People will be saying, what's that? And they say, well, that's the tabernacle, of course, because you've read chapter 25 through 27. See, I'm just trying to help you along. Because somebody's going to say, if you don't know, they're going to say, what church did you go to? And if you say the packing house, I'm going to act like I don't know you, okay? <laughs> Preparing for heaven. Verse 3. For every high priest appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. All of them were. So this is looking back at 83 high priests. At least that's what the Roman historian Josephus says. There were 83 priests from the first one, Aaron. Of course, they served for their lifetime. All the way up to a guy named Phineas who died in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed in the city of Jerusalem. So all those other high priests, is the point, they were chosen to offer gifts and sacrifices, sacrifices to animals slain. Gifts were like the fellowship offering, a grain offering, or food that was uh, offered to the Lord. It could be an animal, and then a third would go to the priest, and a third would go to the Lord, and a third would go to you, and it was barbecue. It was an early Texas barbecue. I'm not making fun of it. I want you to understand that it, it actually was around the idea of sitting down with God, having fellowship with God. And it actually is commemorated or is part of the communion service, that you sit down with bread and grape juice, and you have an opportunity to talk to God, and God will talk to you. God and a person sitting down together. That was the picture in these gifts that were given and sacrifices. That's what the high priest did. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, capital O, this Jesus, also have something to offer. Well, he does have something to offer. We'll see in just a moment. Verse 4, for if he, capital H, Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. All the priests were 501 priests. That's three of you. The rest of you are going, what? Levi's, okay, it's jeans, but not those kind of jeans. Anyway, so they were from the tribe of Levi, and Jesus was not from that tribe. He was from the tribe of Judah. He had come from the same tribe that David had come from. So priests who offered the gifts, if he were on earth, Jesus would not be a priest because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Again, it's not real meaningful for us as Gentiles as we're reading this. We never lived under this. But for them, this is new information. It's, it's summing everything up, as it said in the first verse, so that they can see what's happened now with the new covenant and why it was so important they stay with it. Verse 5, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he, God, said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. I don't want you to change anything. Do it just like the way I told you so that you will be duplicating, making a model of the one that's in heaven. Don't be adding the cafe. Uh, don't be putting hot rod motors in the restroom or any of that stuff. Just do the tabernacle, right? 
Okay, so Moses was given very specific instructions what it should be made out of, how big it would, how tall it would be, and on and on. All that, so when you get to heaven, you can say, oh yeah, I know what that is. I read Exodus 25. It's very clear what it is. Exodus 25, 40 says, see that you make them after this pattern, which I've shown you on the mountain. Okay, so now the promises, verse 6, he has obtained a more excellent ministry. He, capital H, Jesus, inasmuch as he is also a mediator, an arbitrator, he's a daysman, he's an attorney, he's a, a lawyer of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Whole point, the new covenant is better, so much better. There's no, there really should be no temptation to go back to the old one. It is based upon his excellent ministry of what he has done. This is actually referring to the cross. Sum it up in an old story. Kind of a famous story about D.L. Moody. Some of you recognize the name. Evangelist right after the Civil War. Really one of the first evangelists to do a Billy Graham style sort of crusade where a lot of people would come forward and get saved. Very gifted man of God. There's still Moody Church in Chicago. Moody College is there, all started by this man. Well, he's on a train. He's going through Wyoming. In those days, they stopped in the 1870s at the border between Wyoming and Utah because only Mormon locomotive engineers could be at the helm when they went through the state. It was later changed, but that was true at that moment, and it fits the story. So the new engineer gets on, the other one gets off, and he starts to train him. He sends word back because he'd heard Moody was there. He wanted to meet him. So he invites him to come up onto the, the cabin of the steam locomotive, and he's going to show him around and what red-blooded American man wouldn't want to go see horsepower in action. So Moody goes up in front, and he uh, shows him around, and then he says, you have any questions? And Moody says, yeah. Are you saved? Which is kind of the way D.L. Moody was. You know, start a conversation, he's going to bring up the Lord. And the man says, yeah, I'm, I'm saved by my works. And Moody says, no, it's not possible. It turned out this engineer was actually a Mormon bishop, and they had a long discussion, and they agreed to disagree about saved by faith, which Scripture says, of course, and Moody knew them all, and then saved by works. And they stopped, and as he was getting down, he said, uh, you know, there's really not a whole lot of difference in our religions after all. It's really just in the spelling. And the engineer said, what do you mean spelling? What do you mean? And he said, you spell yours D-O, 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 do, do, do. I spell mine done, D-O-N-E. Jesus did it all on the cross for me. Now, that's a summary of the difference between the old covenant doing things and the new covenant of believing that Jesus has done it all. That's the good news. It is a better covenant because of that. We're going and growing through Hebrews right now on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you missed a portion of today's study, simply go online to thepackinghouse.org and you'll find our programs are archived there for you. We can also send you a CD copy if that's preferred. Here's where to reach us, 
844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace through this study of Hebrews. And if a question comes to mind, or you're in need of prayer, or would just like to express something that's on your heart, please do email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. Again, packinghouseradio at aol.com. Today, we'd like to offer you an inspirational book from Elizabeth Elliot called Through Gates of Splendor. This classic bestseller recalls the story of five missionaries who dared to share the good news with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And while they were martyred for their faith in Jesus, their story lives on, inspiring thousands to follow in their courageous footsteps. Through Gates of Splendor, our featured resource is available for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get out the good news of Jesus to a world in need. Pastor Ed Ray writes a daily devotional that you can access through our website. You can read these biblical and relevant devotionals at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on His Channel TV, where we're studying Colossians right now. Our series in Hebrews continues next time we meet, and we hope you can join us for that. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone.